Having a good night? You're cold? Sister, if you think this is cold, it's going to get a lot colder around here. This is Idaho, you know. <laughs> I remember coming with a jacket to church in 40, maybe it was 40-something, 40 45, 47, 48. And everybody telling me, what are you wearing that for? Yeah, it's not even cold yet. So I told Kathy, not even to get the jackets out till it's in the 30s, because I don't want nobody calling me a sissy this year. <laughs> we'll see how that all works out for me. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to begin, uh, <clears throat> basically the, the exciting thing about the book of Deuteronomy is this. Uh, Deuteronomos means uh, the second law, or the retelling of the law. And uh, uh, that, that comes out of a verse that we'll get to as we go through the book. But primarily what the book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses' last words. You know, there are various times in our life where you get to hear uh, someone's final whatever, their final speech, their final words... For Moses, Moses knows he's not going into the promised land. The children of Israel are going in. God has already told Moses that his time is, is come to a close. And so as he has this new generation of young people before him, people that are ready to go forward and, and into uh, everything that God has for them, as he's standing before them, he says, Listen, I just got one last thing to say, and that is the book of Deuteronomy. All the way through, these are the words that Moses spoke to the children of Israel before they cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. So it's Moses' last bit of encouragement. Moses' last bit of, of uh, you know, giving them that, that uh, I don't know, slug in the arm that says, you guys can do it. You know, come on, you can, you're, you're going to be able to not only uh, go into the land, possess the land, and he's encouraging them that they would experience everything that God has for them. And that's, that's a real vital thing for you and I to grasp that we want to experience everything that God has for us. And we, we talked about it a little bit last week. One of the things that we have to die to is that idea that somewhere along the way in this plan that God has for us is a life of ease where we put our feet up and we kick back and everything just rolls on by. We see in the life of Moses, he was fighting battles all the way to the last day, all the way to his final moments. God had other things for him to deal with. All of those issues that entered into his life shaped his character and who he was. And Moses had learned something that we need to learn, and that is to appreciate and count the blessings God gives us. To appreciate the things that God has done. Uh, part of the, the Seder celebration at Passover is to read a, a little poem that they have, uh, that they do at Passover Seder. I want to share it with you guys. It's called uh, Dayenu. Dayenu means it's enough. I alluded to it a little, uh, probably a week or two ago. Um, but it's a concept for counting our blessings, remembering all that God's done for us, and learning to find contentment. What did Paul write to us? He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with what God has given, what God has already accomplished in our life. And so one of the ways that they would remember was they would read the Dayunu at, uh, at Passover time. Here's how it would go. If he had brought us out of Egypt and had not carried out judgments against them, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had not, or if he had carried out judgments against them and not against their idols, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had destroyed their idols and not smitten their firstborn, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had smitten their firstborn and had not given us their wealth, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had given us their wealth and had not split the sea for us, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through on dry land, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had taken us through the sea on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors in it, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had drowned our oppressors in it and had not supplied our needs 
in the desert for 40 years, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had fed us the manna and had not given us the Shabbat, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had given us the Shabbat and had not brought us before Mount Sinai, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had brought us before Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had given us the Torah and had not brought us into the land of Israel, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had brought us into the land of Israel and not built for us the holy temple, Dayenu, it would have been enough. One of the encouraging things when you look at the, the, this poem, the Jewish poem that's written is, encourages us maybe to sit down and write our own Dayenu. Looking back over our life, remembering the history of where God has brought us from, where we are today, and learning to be thankful, content in what God has accomplished in our life. Because oftentimes we will be like the children of Israel and sing the Janet Jackson song to the Lord. Right? What have you done for me lately? But we want to have a heart of thanksgiving that says what God has done for me is enough. Even if he doesn't do one more thing in my life, it's enough. Finding our sufficiency in the Lord, our sufficiency in Christ. So as we look at Deuteronomy, we're going to see Moses beginning to to, um, rehearse their history. He's going to rehearse. This is where we came from. This is who we are. This is where we're going. And then he's going to rehearse everything from uh, their history, the giving of the law, and uh, his encouragement to them as they possess the land. So as we take a look, at, uh, at this, let's have eyes to see and ears to hear. One of the other things you want to remember about Deuteronomy, uh, in the New Testament, it is quoted more than any other Old Testament book. And Jesus quoted out of Deuteronomy more than anybody else. So if you remember the wilderness wanderings when Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness, he made three quotations of Scripture to defeat Satan. All three come from Deuteronomy. All come from from this book we're going to be taking a look at. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, here's what we want to recognize in this verse. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, He spent about a year roughly getting them from Egypt to Horeb or Mount Sinai. Horeb and Mount Sinai, we're, we're talking about the same place. He brings them to that place. The time they spent there and the time traveling there was about a year. The Lord brought them through very specific journeys. You'll remember. In fact, if you study through the book of Exodus, you'll see each stop along the way to Mount Sinai, God was teaching them something. And each one of the names of the places where God stopped with them, there was a lesson for them there. But when they came to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law, God said, now it's time to go and it's 11 days to the promised land. And when Moses wrote that, I'm guessing it caused a little grief in his heart. Because how long did they take to get there? 40 years. For you and me, I often wonder how many times in my, you know, I can look back over my life and I think I see it, but, but I'm sure God can point out the exact points where I took my wilderness wandering instead of taking the most direct route you know from a to b when god was sending now keep in mind on our journey there are stops god intends us to have and sometimes for you and i it's hard to tell the difference between those and the wilderness wanderings 
But for the children of Israel, it's here for them in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. It's 11 days from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, the gateway to the promised land. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. So here he is, Moses, rehearsing the things that God had shown him. Moses' final words to a new generation of encouragement going into the promised land. And you're going to notice that that over and over through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to use the covenantal name of God. In your Bibles, it's capital L-O-R-D. Y-H-W-H, Y-H-V-H, V and W in Hebrew are the exact same letter. The, The Yahweh, the... The Tetragrammaton, the very name of God, which points back to him being everything they need. The fulfillment of all the promises that God gave them. So this is how Moses is going to be referring to the Lord. This is the Lord who who makes promises to us and keeps promises to us. It says, after he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtoreth at Edrai. On this side of the Jordan, to the land of Moab, Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying... So he's given us a time frame. Remember, it was after they, they defeated Sihon and Og. The children of Israel are right there. There's Jericho in the distance. They can see Jericho. The Jordan River's right before them. They're right there, ready. God has already said, go and possess the land. This is when Moses begins, as it says here in verse 5, to explain the law. The word for law there is the word Torah, which literally means the instructions. It's like saying the Torah being, this is what God has taught me. The things that the Lord has shown me. And the word for explain is beir. It means to dig, to make plain. He's really going to s- simply lay out what it is God has shown him. And Moses is 120 years of ministry as he's led the children of Israel to this point. The things that God had laid on his heart, what God had shown him. So it's a great opportunity for us to see what it is that, that the Lord showed him. The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb. Now remember, Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai. Okay, The Lord spoke to us in Horeb saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. You ever felt like God told you that? You've been here long enough. I mean, there are, seriously there are times in our life when God will say... You've been here long enough. Listen, I remember when, uh, when the Lord first called me into Bible college. And I went, and Kathy was really excited about the church we were going to and the, and the things that God was doing. And I told her, like, the, as soon as we started, I said, you know, babe, I know that God has a plan for us. And it, I know it doesn't include this place. So don't be too crazy about setting down roots. Because sooner or later, the Lord's going to move us. So about 15 years later, I was pretty sure that I must have been off my rocker because we were still there. We hadn't gone anyplace. You know, the Lord had given us some outreaches in 29 Palms and some other things, but it was all around that general vicinity. And so we began to settle down. And then God said, you've been in this mountain long enough. It's time to go. That's the same word that came to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Don't lose sight of Mount Sinai. Mountain burning with holy fire for at least 40 days, if not longer. Lightning and thundering, the presence of God on the mountain. Remember, Moses was up there with them. That from Mount Sinai, God spoke the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. I mean, it's a pretty intense place of of instruction, an intense place of growing. It was a place where the children of Israel were really beginning to to see who God is and what God's like and, and what God wants from them. But then I just love this phrase when God said, you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. 
That call come for us all. That call will come for us all as, as the Lord moves us. He, he, he does not call necessarily the equipped. He equips the called. And when that equipping is accomplished, there's a purpose behind everything God does. It's not, it's not random. So <clears throat> we look forward to hearing as the Lord speaks to us and as He guides us and as He takes us from that place, <clears throat> maybe we think we're going to be forever. But God says, you've been in this mountain long enough. Turn and take your journey. Go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great uh, river, the river Euphrates. Well, we've already talked about it as God described to us a promised land. 300,000 square miles. Today, Israel is 7,000 square miles. So a tiny fraction of everything that God had promised them. Does that mean that the God who makes promises isn't going to keep his promise? Will Israel ever inhabit the promised land? All 300,000 square miles? Sure they will. Sure they will. The Bible tells us when that will be. When they have a righteous king on the throne. That king's name, some called the son of David, is Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ rules as king at the millennial reign upon his return, Israel will possess the land. At the height of their fame and fortune, David, the, perhaps the greatest king, or Solomon, his son who ruled after him, they held 30,000 square miles. What does that mean? That means that God had laid out for them 300,000 square miles of blessing and they, at their best, possessed 10%. And when we look at that, it hopefully is, a, is an encouragement to us that there is so much more that God has for us to possess of the promises of Scripture, the blessings that God wants to pour out in our life, then what we're possessing. I promise none of us are possessing everything God has for us. When the best they could do was 10%, we are not at 100. So that means that there is the possibility, the opportunity for us to enjoy more of what God has for us. I used to say that the world has never seen what can be accomplished in the life of a man or woman who is totally, completely, utterly surrendered to the Lord? But the world has seen. That was Jesus Christ. Totally, utterly, completely surrendered to the Father. The words my Father gives me, that's what I speak. The deeds my Father gives me to do, those are the things that I do. That God was so central, He modeled for us what that's like. What that looks like. And then He said, if any of you will come after Me, He must take up His cross and follow Me. Follow in His footsteps. In the, in the preparation that He has laid out for us. So when we look at this and we see, and I know we can get bored and we can say, oh, we're talking about the land and the borders of the land. Well, Forget about the borders of the land. Put into that all the promises that God has laid out in Scripture for you. How many of those promises are you possessing? How many do you walk in day in and day out? And there's no time like the present to hear what God said to the children of Israel. Wherever you'll put the sole of your foot, I've given it to you. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. So we have a promise that God has laid out for us. As the children of Israel were given this opportunity, let's see it in that light. When God says to them, go, take, possess. That God's saying the same thing to us. Go, take, possess. Take all that I have for you. Don't just be satisfied with where you're comfortable. Because we got a whole lot of comfortability in the United States. And especially in religion. I'm comfortable. This is my church. This is my pew. This is where I sit. This is this where I can find you guys every week. If I, in fact, the, the biggest shakeup I've had since I've been 
at Calvary Chapel Buell is when we moved the pews all around. And people said, what would you do with my pew? Well, it's in here somewhere. I didn't take any of them out. If you scratch your name on the bottom, you have to go look or you're going to have to sit someplace else. You know, so the, the idea, we get into this comfort zone. Listen, God wants us not ever to come to the place where we're comfortable and we don't want to move forward. He wants us to do just like he's going to say here in verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. Grab a hold of all that God has for you. Grab it all. Don't be satisfied with anything short of everything that God has. Because there's so much more than what we're experiencing now. So much more than what we have at this moment. In verse 9 he goes on, And I spoke to you at that time saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. Children of Israel went to Egypt, 70 people. They came out two and a half million. That's a big group of people. Governing over 70 people doesn't seem necessarily too bad. Governing over two and a half million, that's a whole other animal altogether. Moses says, I, I alone can't do it. And he's laying out for them. Listen, guys, God, the promise keeper, this is a promise he made to Abraham that we're seeing fulfilled. That the numbers of Abraham's children would be like the stars in the heavens. And you go outside, and if you're able to see the stars, they're just everywhere. When, when we were up hunting, one of the nights uh, that we were up in, at, on the men's hunt, the star, it was like daytime. You didn't need a flashlight. The moon was nice and big, and the stars were everywhere. It was, all, it was hard to find black in the sky. There were so many stars. And so here Moses is saying, listen, here we see God's promises being fulfilled. But if we don't ever look back on our history and say, yeah, you know what? God was there for me. Yeah, you know what? God kept his promise what he said. You know, I never thought that this could work out for good. But I'm seeing fruitfulness come through this, this hurt in my life. If we'll look back and, and recognize the fulfillment of the promises that God's given, it encourages us to possess more. If we get satisfied, then we're going to sit in that lazy boy of religion, put our feet up, grab the clicker, and put our mind to sleep. Instead of having everything that God has for us, we're there catching uh, whatever's on TV next. Listen, he wants us to understand the promises that God has kept. And then Moses goes on in verse 11. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. See, Moses pointing again. God, the promise keeper, Israel, those to whom God had made these promises, and Moses is saying, listen, God's going to keep them. He's keeping it now. He's going to continue to keep it. So he says in verse 12, so how can I alone bear your problems, your burdens, and your complaints? Guys, when we see this, we need to recognize, folks, there's oftentimes when people are going to come to you and they're, and they're, going, to, they're going to take you and put you in the place of Jesus Christ in their life. In other words, anytime they run into something, there's an issue, a problem, uh, 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 they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn left or right. They're going to come to you. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but as that continues on, continues on, there's a point where we've got to say, I'm not the one who can solve all your problems. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. We've got to point people to Jesus Christ. That, that we're not the ones with the answers. We don't have all wisdom and all understanding. But Jesus does. We want to bring them to Him. Point the way to Him. Well, as we go on, here's what we see the Lord leading uh, Moses to do. In verse 13, So, choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes 
wise and knowledgeable men and made them heads over you, uh, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. And I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Here are the cases between your brother, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with them. So we read about this in the book of Exodus. It says Moses developed what would become the Sanhedrin. That these become the elders of the children of Israel, those who would hear the cases so that one man wasn't trying to solve all the problems. It's also the way we see church government built for the most part today. Usually you have a pastor, board of elders, uh, a group of deacons. What are we talking about? We're talking about leaders of of 50, leaders of 10, leaders of 100 men and women who can stand in the place and help with the issues that come up within the church. Paul, Peter, James, and John said it this way. We don't want to leave studying the word to wait on tables. We don't want to have to deal with all these these small things that we should be able to handle among ourselves. So the Lord led Moses to, to pull out an eldership of the nation of Israel. And this is what he's rehearsing for them now. Remember, we chose that leadership. And here's what he told the leaders. Verse 17, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. He's telling them, listen, I want you to be righteous judges. I want you to be those who are not judging the way man judges. How does man judge? The scripture told us man judges what he sees, but God sees where? The heart. The man sees rich or poor, tall or, or short, thin, heavy, whatever the case is. Man sees all these things and makes judgment based on what he sees. And here Moses says, don't be like that. Be like God. Don't be afraid of any man or in any man's presence. Why? The Bible tells us a fear of man is a snare, but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That we would place, before we ever worry about what a man, woman thinks about something, we should worry primarily or first about how does God see this. Before I worry about is this going to offend my brother or sister, I need to know does this offend God me standing here and just listening and not saying anything. If my brother or sister comes to me in gossip or in murmuring, if I sit and listen, what I tolerate, I encourage. How does it look to the Lord? What does God expect of me? That's the fear of the Lord. If Jesus Christ was here listening right now, what would he say? How would he be led? I need to be what he would require of me in this place. And be that in a righteous way. A righteous judge. Seeing rightly what it is that God wants. What it is that God would require. So we see in this this leadership that they set up. The unity that was brought about was caused because there was one head and many hands. One head, the head was Moses, and all the rest of the leadership sat in support of what he was doing. Now, it wasn't always that way. We had rebellion take place, right? But in the the concept behind the leadership that God had led them to set up, this was the idea, unity. Who's the head of the church? And nobody better say me. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head. One head... Many hands. One head guiding, leading, directing, raising up people to accomplish the things that God wants wants done. So as we take a look, that's the way we want to be. Now, where do you find leadership? Where do you find great leadership? Well, listen, guys, do a history study. Where did they find David? What was David doing when they came to anoint him as king? He was tending what? His father's sheep. Imagine that he would be a good shepherd, huh? What about uh, Moses? What was he doing at the burning bush? 
Same thing, right? Tending his father-in-law's sheep. He was already doing that which God would use. Only I'm sure they thought, oh, I'm just taking care of the sheep. Don't you think that they learned an awful lot about what would be required to lead people based on their experiences with the sheep? Tending the sheep, feeding the sheep, keeping them happy. Over and over again, the scripture the Lord lays out for us that we, like sheep, have gone astray. He compares us to them, and then he calls himself the good shepherd who does what? Gives his life for the sheep. So as we look for leadership and positions of leadership within the body of Christ, we're looking for the same thing. People that are already doing. Um, as we were praying over children's ministry, knowing that Carol was, was uh, headed to California at some point and we needed to have someone that would be able to fill that role, we didn't pull out an ad. We talked to a couple of people here and there just kind of feeling some things out. But primarily as a board of elders, we prayed. We prayed, God, you know who this is. And I'll, to be honest, I don't know if the rest of the board of elders felt the same way, but I get a little stressed out because I'd like to have had that answered a while ago. But that wasn't God's plan. As the Lord spoke to, to Anna Lures and worked on her heart, you see God taking her to a, a field of preparation, uh, you know, taking her to school and learn how to be a teacher, putting on her heart a desire to spend time with kids, to teach them the truths of God's word, being excited about that opportunity, and then laying on her heart, you know, I, I think I need to talk to Jackie, or I, I think I need to talk to the board of elders. I feel like this is what God is doing in my life. And the Lord brings around someone who, go figure, is already ministering in children's ministry, already working in children's worship, already teaching in uh, the classes in, in Sunday school. So we see God pulling up from within the body of Christ the leadership that God is calling to, to take that place. If we'll look at what God does as he pulls these leaders up through the children of Israel, the same way he did them, we'll see him work in our midst as well. He goes on now in verse 19. He says, now, so we departed from Horeb, that's Sinai again, and went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. He says, oh, we went through this horrible experience. Do you remember the horrible experience? During that horrible experience, they, they went without water. And Moses struck the rock and water flowed from the rock. They found that God was their sustenance, that the Lord was their protector, that God was watching over them as they journeyed from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. That was an important lesson for them to understand in order to be prepared to walk through the gates of the promised land. Do you believe that God has you, holds you in his hands? Now, that's easy to believe and feel when we find ourselves in a place where we're comfortable. What about if the doctor says cancer? What about if something that you can't explain or can't understand comes into your life or in your surroundings, grief, whatever the things that you have to deal with? Do you still believe God is the one who gives you everything you need? That he'll give you water when you need drink? That he'll be your protector. That he'll be your provider. Because as we study the names of God, that's what all those names mean. As we go through all his names, the different names uh, that, that God has been called by. Yahweh Yideh. My God, my provider. The, the, the one who meets our needs. This is what he's saying here. We went through this difficulty to prepare our hearts to be ready. But sometimes we go through difficulty and we're like the pot on the, on the potter's wheel screaming at the potter. What are you doing to me? It's hot in here. I, I'm getting a little dizzy spinning around in a circle. Uh, that's a little painful as you dig that junk out of the inside of me. But the reality is God, who is the promise maker, 
who is the promise keeper, is going to fulfill the promise he gave to you and I. That if I have begun a good work in you, I will be faithful to complete it. I'm going to finish you. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish and keep the promises I've given you. And as we look at those, even when nothing makes sense, guys, even when we look around us and we say, this is crazy. Still, the faith of Abraham would say, God's going to raise him from the dead. Right? How many of us, if we're sitting in our room and God, and we knew it to be God, spoke to us and said, Jackie, take your son, your only son whom you love, to the mountain that I will show you, and there you offer him to me as a burnt offering. The scripture in Hebrew tells us, Abraham reckoned in himself, God promised me that, I, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through this seed that God had given me. And that promised seed that God had given me is my son. And so if I slay him, God is going to keep his promise. I don't know how he'll do it, but God will keep his promise. And so more than what he saw, by faith he believed. And he went. And today we know of him as the father of all those who have faith, who trust, who believe. He trusted God. But don't forget, before he ever offered his son as a sacrifice, he had already learned to give a son to God. Don't forget about Ishmael. I mean, I know Scripture teaches us that Ishmael is a picture of the flesh and Isaac is a picture of the spirit. But don't, don't try to make that division in the mind of a father who's looking at his firstborn son after spending 75 years waiting for the promise of God, only to finally go marry someone else and finally have a child. Don't tell me that that father did not love his son. Don't tell me that that Abraham didn't love Ishmael. And don't tell me it didn't break Abraham's heart when God said, Abraham, listen to Sarah. It's time for Ishmael to go. Ishmael was 16. And God said, you send Ishmael, you give Ishmael to me. And God said, I will take care of him. I will bless him. I'll watch over him. You give him to me. The Bible tells us how Abraham did it, doesn't it? He gave him one sack of water. And he said, go. Abraham was a rich man. That'd be like Donald Trump giving you a a glass of water and saying, there you go, son, see you later. Hey, come on, dad, kick me down a couple grand or something so so I got a little bit of money. How about a couple of camels, a donkey, a a few sheep, some goats, something. He didn't give him anything to fulfill in the scripture that we're called not to make any provision for the flesh, but even more than that, to say, don't put your trust in me, Ishmael. Put your trust in God. And Ishmael and his mom went out to the desert, ran out of water, got thirsty. Ishmael collapses on the ground. And and Hagar goes off into the distance to roll around in a a little ball and say, I'm going to die over here so I don't have to see my son die over there. And as she lays down, comes to the end of herself, the end of all her plans, the end of all her schemes, the end of all the ideas. God was faithful to the promise he gave Abraham. And he tapped Hagar on the shoulder and brought up a well from the ground that she would be able to drink from. And she was able to give water to the lad. And from Ishmael, the Bible says, came 12 princes. God blessed him, blessed his family, and washed over him. Can you trust God like that? Because the reason we study the scriptures is so that we can learn that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And if he kept it for them, he will keep it for you.
But we have to answer the same questions this new generation has to answer. We have to say, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. I want more than what my father had who died in the wilderness because he didn't have the faith to enter into the promised land. I want to believe. I want to trust. I want to know. So they came to Kadesh Barnea after that preparation. And I said to you, you have come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. Big clue for us. You want to watch out for something in your life? Watch out for that. Beware of fear and lack of courage. Beware of fear and discouragement. The lack of courage. God said, go, possess, it's yours. And they said, oh, but I don't know. Uh, they're, they're, uh, it's kind of scary. So what happens? And, the every, and every one of you came near to me and said, let's send men before us. What did God say? Go in and possess. There's the land. Go. What did they say? Let's get a, a, a group of guys. Let's form a committee. Let's make that committee the committee to decide how we're going to do this. Where we're going to go first. Because we don't really know where to go first. Isn't that the excuse they use? Let us send men before us and let them search out the land and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up. And of the cities into which we shall come. Let me ask you a question. Up until this point, how did they know where to go? God was guiding them with what? A pillar of fire and a cloud. And now all of a sudden we've got to have a committee to tell us where to go? What's the matter with God leading us? That's what he's done so far, right? He's right up there. Right over the top of the children of Israel. But nonetheless, the children of Israel, look what happens. Verse 23, the plan pleased me. Moses said, that hey, sounds good to me. Yeah, he wasn't against it. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. They departed and went up to the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you ever heard that saying that if you say something nice to someone and then you say the word but, you erased everything you just said? That's the kind of word nevertheless is. Oh, what a great land the Lord has given us. Nevertheless, might as well erase everything else. Nevertheless, you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You wouldn't go. You wouldn't go possess they, by faith, saw the waves in the storm and were afraid. And they had a lack of courage. They were discouraged. A lack of courage and they were afraid. The Lord said, do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's right over top of you. We can say the same thing for us today, can't we? The creator of all the universe resides within you. In Revelation chapter 3, around verse 20, 21, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I will come into you and sup with you. You with me. The Lord comes into our life. Becomes a part of who we are. The God who created all the heavens resides with us. Of what should we be afraid? What is it that should cause fear in our life? What is it that, that should cause us to withdraw or withhold from experiencing all that God has for us? But here, in the light of his presence, they said, nevertheless, we won't go. And you complained in your tents. That's where it all starts. You know that, right? We complain at home first. We get at home and we start murmuring, murmuring, murmuring. 
murmur, murmur, murmuring about this. Oh, you know, I can't believe. And, and we, you know, I should have some place that I can let my hair down and just be me, right? So, so I can go home and, and tell Kathy and murmur, murmur, you wouldn't believe what, and blah, 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 complain, complain, complain. Is that how God calls us to be? He says, you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. God hates us. Under the shadow of his presence, they thought God hates us. Man, we do the same thing. I know I have. I know I've looked at my situation and thought, God hates me. I felt like Alfalfa and the little rascals, you know. And the clouds opened up and God said, Alfalfa, I hate you. You guys never saw that. Sorry, you missed out. I have felt that same way, looking at circumstances in my life. But that's a lie. Is it the truth? How do I know when, the difference between when God speaks to me and when, and when it's my own head or when it's someone else? Well, I'll tell you. The scripture says to let the peace of God rule in your heart. And that word for rule is the concept of be a referee. Let the peace of God be a referee in your heart. It says, that's out of here or you're safe. And how do we let that work in our life? Because we use the Bible as a foundation. We take those feelings that we have, that peace within our heart. We look at the Word of God. Does this line up with the Word of God? Because if you come to me and say, you know, Jackie, God spoke to me and said that, that I should divorce my husband and move in with this other person. I'm going to say, that's not God. Because that's in opposition to God's Word. But I have a peace about it. Uh, that's not a peace. The peace of God is going to line up with the Word of God. You're going to hear confirmation on the lips of your friends and family who love the Lord. You're going to sit down thinking, God, is that really you, Lord? You sit down and turn on the radio, and the guy on the radio is talking about the exact same thing. You ever had that happen? You turn on the radio, and the message that this guy's preaching, who he sent in probably six months ago, is exactly what you're thinking about, exactly what you're talking about, or comes up with exactly the the concept, the answer that you're looking for. That's how God speaks to us. That's how God leads us. Through worship, through prayer, through His Word, by peace in our heart. God's going to lead, guide, and direct. We can hear the Word of God. We We can hold on to those promises of God. We don't have to be complainers that say God hates me he's trying to destroy me we can be listening we can be receiving direction but here they said the task is impossible for us and impossible for God and now what they said the task is impossible for us and it is impossible for God but the reality is it wasn't Verse 28, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heavens. And moreover, and here's the big one, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. The sons of the Anakim. The giants. First, the people are bigger than us. Then the cities, they have fortification to the heavens. But really? What happened to the fortification around Jericho? You remember, right? They had to just had this horrible siege. And it took 20, 30 years for them to finally break down the walls of Jericho, right? No, God brought it down. God brought it down. But here they see these walls. All they see is the giants, man. The giants in their life... The giants in our life, it's all the same. If we focus on the storm, if we focus on the giant, and we don't do what God's word declares. What's that? On the pure and lovely and of good reproach. On these things, meditate. Focus on God's deliverance. Focus on God's promises and the, and the character of God. And don't look at all, well, how's this going to work? Who cares? 
Trust God. Trust God. He knows what he's going to do. But all they saw was giants. And I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. And the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Moses said, don't look at them. Look at how often God has delivered. Look at how often God has carried you. Look at how God has brought you to this place. And hold on. See the promise maker, not the problem maker. See the promise keeper, not the storm and the wind and the waves. We know what happens when we look at that, right? What happened to Peter? He sank. What happens to us? We sink. Look at him. Look to him. He is the one who delivers. He is the one who will carry us through. I am the God who carries you like a father carries his son. How does a father carry his son? Whenever I think about that, I always think about uh, Abraham and, and Isaac. We already talked about it. And I know Isaac is probably much older, probably around 30 years old when he was offered by, by Abraham. But for whatever reason, in my mind, when I picture it, I always see Abraham carrying his boy. You know, come on, son. You and I, we're going to go worship, and we will return. And then I think of that poem. You guys probably all know that poem, right? Footprints. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord, and across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand, and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest, saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said, once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand. Why, when I needed you most, would you leave me? And the Lord replied, My son, my precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, When you see only one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. Don't you hear the same words from Moses speaking of God to the children of Israel? When you were in the worst places you were at, like a father carries his son, God carried you. He will fight for you. He will deliver you. But in verse 32, Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Did they need 12 spies? No. God would have showed them the way. Did God let them send 12 spies? Sure. You ever notice that God will let us do the dumb things we want to do? Yeah. At least he does for me. And then afterwards, the cool thing is, God's not there going, see, I told you that was stupid. He's there saying, come on, let me show you how all those pieces go back together again. God knows how it fits. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath and said, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation will see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. I love Caleb. Because when Caleb is 80 to 90 years old, He's going to tell Joshua, I still feel as good as I did when I was 40. And I heard tell that the Anakim are on that mountain. I just need your permission, Joshua, to go whoop them. 
See, he, he wasn't trying to dodge. The Anakim were the baddest of the bad. That's the, the ones through whom Goliath would come, the Rephaim. Some point to the Anakim as, a, as the, the Nephilim of Genesis chapter 6. I mean, there's a, a variety of concepts and ideas. The point is, they were so afraid of the Anakim that all they could see was the Anakim and not God. And Caleb, though, he, how does it say? Holy followed me. Wouldn't that be a cool thing for God to say about you? You wholly followed me. Your whole heart. You didn't let fear hold you back. You didn't let discouragement rip you off. You wholly followed me. And Caleb, at 80 plus, was still as spry as he was when he was a young man. And was he fighting battles up to the end? All the way to the end. Because that's what this life is. It's a battlefield. We're in enemy enemy territory. You're behind enemy lines. You get that, right? You're not on the right side of enemy lines until you're standing with Jesus Christ at home. Until that day, we're behind enemy lines, man. This is we're we're that force sent ahead, forward of the invading force to do the work that God's called us to. So here we see Caleb was one of those uh, who wholly followed the Lord. Verse thirty-seven: The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, "Even you shall not go in there." See Moses. Moses said, "I, I don't even get to go." You remember what Moses did, right? The first time he was supposed to, to beat the rock and water came forth. What was he supposed to do the second time? Speak. How many times was the rock supposed to be beaten? One time. How many times did Jesus crucified? Once. He hit the rock the second time, broke the type, and God said, Moses, I wasn't mad at the people. You were mad at the people, but I wasn't mad at the people. You misrepresented me. So you don't go. Moses stayed. Moses wouldn't see the promised land. Well, eventually he does see the promised land, doesn't he? On the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is standing with who? Moses and Elijah. So he got in. He was in the promised land at that point. But he wasn't going to bring the children of Israel over. Well, listen... <clears throat> He said, the Lord was even angry with me. And then verse 38, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he will go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. He says, hey, Moses, this is the next guy. Encourage him. Long time ago, I learned that our role within ministry, whatever aspect of ministry you are in, is to raise up those who are better than us who can replace us. If we're kingdom builders and we're trying to build a kingdom for ourselves, then our kingdom will fall, collapse, and stop moving forward. God wants us to raise up leadership. The next generation needs to be taught, needs to be trained, needs to be prepared so that they are ready to stand. And if that means that I don't get to feel all comfortable and cush when I'm 65 or 70 or 80 or 85 or 90 or however Long the good Lord keeps me around, so be it. Do that thing that God has for you. Raise him up. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say are victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, to them I will give it, and they will possess it. Now, a lot of talk in scriptures about the age of accountability. What is the age of accountability? Well, I don't know. A lot of good arguments out there. I can tell you this. Do you know who he's talking about? The children? You know how old they were? 20 years and younger. Everyone under the age of 20 was considered a child who did not know good from evil. And everyone that was 20 and older, they perished in the wilderness. You know the other thing? That whole generational curse idea that people bring up all the time? There was no generational curse here. 
the father sinned and perished in the wilderness, what did the children do? They went into the promised land. The Bible doesn't teach a, a generational curse. It does tell us that our children are going to follow us. And if we walk in sin, our children will be right behind us, walking in sin behind us. To the third and fourth generation, our kids will follow those things. But there's no generational curse. I don't like generational curses when people say, yeah, I'm under a generational curse. That, that tends to speak that you don't have responsibility for what you do. Sorry. In Ezekiel, the Lord said, No longer will it be said that a man ate sour grapes and his son's teeth fell out. You're responsible for your own decisions. But those are the things God wants us to be concerned with as we lead, guide, direct, walk before our children because we're setting an example that they're going to follow. Well, listen, everyone under the age of 20... But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. And then they answered and said to me, Oh, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight. Now it's a sin of presumption. We will go up and fight just as the Lord God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded on his weapons of war and you were ready to go into the mountain, and the Lord said, Tell them, Do not go up and fight. Why? For I am not among you. Most important concept that you can ever grasp if God's not there why do you want to be if you can sit and say you know what the Lord is not in this place then why are you there and if you can say you know the Lord is in that place then why aren't you there to be in the presence of God This should be the most important thing. They make a sin of presumption. God's going to give us victory now. Uh, we'll go, we'll go whoop them now. So they go and they get whooped. They get beat. They get, they, they, they lose the battle. Lord said, I'm not among you and you will be defeated before your enemy. So I spoke to you. Yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up to the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelled in the mountain came out against you and chased you like bees. And drove you back to Seir of Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, according to the days that you spent there. Listen, Moses is going to go on reciting history, recalling the things God has done to teach a new generation. Have faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. Possess the land. Have everything that God has for you. Experience what God wants in your life. Don't be afraid of man. Fear the Lord. Follow after Him. Afterwards, they were sorry and they wept and they cried. But it didn't change the fact that they were not going to possess the land did it mean god didn't love them anymore no how do i know god still loved them for 40 years in the wilderness their shoes never wore out their clothes never wore out when they were thirsty god gave them water when they were hungry god gave them bread he still watched over and kept them didn't he but you see they never had what they could have had I guess it'd be my prayer that that wouldn't be said of us. That we'll never have what we could have had because we refuse to walk by faith. That instead, all we can see is the size of the storm. The Anakim are there. There's giants in the land. You got giants to face. I have giants to face. None of that's ever going to change. Sometimes the giants will be sickness. Sometimes the giants will be debt. Sometimes the giants could be any number of things. But the promise maker is the promise keeper. He don't break a promise. And he is going to carry us through.
if we will walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word, the truth of your word, Father God. And I just pray, Lord, as we rehearse this history, Lord God, as we go through the victories and the failures, the, the things that, uh, that we need to learn from. Because Scripture declares to us that these things are given to us for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come. That's you and me. That these things are written for us so that we might see the promises that God makes, God keeps. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The promises God makes, God keeps. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God, And are called according to his purpose. The promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for us. And God will be the strength we need to face every challenge in our life. God is the answer to our problems. God is that which we need in every situation. If we need a healer, he is Yahweh Rophe. If we need righteousness, he is Yahweh Tiskanu. If we need provision, he is Yahweh Yideh. If we need a shepherd, while the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lord God, may you be everything we need. May we see you as a promise keeper. May we see you as the promise maker. May we see you as the shadow over the storm rather than seeing the storm over the shadow. May we know you as the one who at any moment could say, peace be still. And even if you don't, may we know when we close our eyes here, we open our eyes with you. So, God, help us walk in faith. Help us possess all that you have for us to possess. And, Father, we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.